Okay. Battle suits, battle suits, battle suits. I'm gonna do a short prelude, and then we'll actually get into a small discussion about the small, a short history of battle suits, specific battle suits, the classifications of battle suits, battle suits that fall within those classifications, and some development of those battle suits. We really only have a lot of information about the specific Forge World battle suits because the lore from Forge World has more detail put into it than the main codex. Main codex entries are just, here's the battle suit. They use it to shoot people and kill them. Fortunately, there's not much about the normal crisis suits and broadsides and uh, the commander battle suits, except some development of the Iridium. So with the battle suits, they are a staple of the fire cast of the Tau Empire. To wear that battle suit is to don a almost ritual armor. A similar comparison would be kind of like headdresses for the Native Americans. It's a very personal achievement to gain the ability and be able to pilot these battle suits. And Tau can only pilot these battle suits after they pass their first trial by fire. And it doesn't mention the additional testing and training to become a battlesuit pilot, but there must be a difference between normal Shazwis and the Shazwis that pilot these battlesuits because you have the Shazwis that lead the fire warrior teams on the ground, as well as the Shazwis that are actually in those battlesuit teams, like the stealth suits, the crisis suits. So since the early days of the first sphere of the Tau Empire, they have been slowly developing these battle suits as kind of a supplement to their army tactics, as well as how they conquer the stars and how they bring worlds into the fold of the greater good. The first mention of these was when they were doing the settlement of Tashvar, and they talk about the T-series battle suits. And it does mention that they were prototypes, very, very heavy prototypes. So this is where you have seen the Shazwis, the Shazvers, the Shazels, and the Shazos. Maybe the Shazels and the Shazos being the only ones in those battle suits leading, or even Shazvers at that point, testing out these battle suits and helping use them to fight the enemies of the Tau Empire. The first, that first version was mentioned in 576, Millennium 39. And then it talks about how eventually it progressed to the V-series. And the T-series was a fossil fuel-based battle suit powered by some form, maybe like gas, kind of like our cars. And then the V-series was based on fission, which is how nuclear reactors work. They rip particles apart in order to power reactions. Um, there's some sci-fi stuff going on here on how they miniaturized it, but there was still the issues of radiation poisoning with those pilots. As a side note, I think the T-series, having that T, I believe it's just a joke about the Model T cars but there could also be some other information behind the scenes that they have because besides really like the six codex the t-series isn't talked about much as well as the v-series 
it's kind of unknown what those two stand for. Um, for the V, I did some very light research into like nuclear fission and you know, as you do um, to try to figure out if V was represented in any equations. And I found that sometimes capital V can represent the interaction potential between two particles. So it could be possibly that V series was a reference to that. Back to the main topic. Near the end of the first sphere, you saw these battlesuits slowly moved into the tactics of the fire cast. During the second sphere, they were used a lot more to deal with several of the enemies as they conquered the worlds. And it was also heavily used during the War of the Place of the Union and helped the crew fight the orcs and take back their home world and their systems. And as they worked and fought with these battlesuits, they were constantly improved, and their weapons were upgraded, their armor was changed, and tried to be brought into slightly lighter and more efficient versions of these battlesuits. And this is where it's presumed that they always kind of had a version of Feotac, which is that nanocrystalline alloy that they use for their armor. And it doesn't talk a lot about the development of that, but presumably at some point they started to ramp up production of this armor in order to help the development of the battlesuits. So as they slowly designed and built more prototypes of these battlesuits, as well as their other vehicles, they had a classification they used for these different sets. If you've seen the classifications that start in the names of Tau vehicles, Tau battlesuits, it's usually accompanied by two letters and two numbers. The two letters designate who's piloting it, as well as what that vehicle is doing. We don't have direct translations for what those two designations have, but we have the XV for battlesuits, the TY, for the Devilfish transports, says TX for the hammerheads, the AX for the planes. We don't have a lot of information on the Orca and the transports, but it's presumed that the Orca would be AY, and it's thought that that Y represents transports, and then V kind of represents a more combat role on the ground. Mm -hmm and X kind of rep represents a more, X in that second letter represents a more combat aerial oriented rule. And same with that A in the front. There's been some talk about what the XV in Battlesuit stands for. Um, the Mantle of Heroes, which is kind of the colloquial name amongst the Tau for Battlesuits is Erex Ver. In some of the Taros campaign books, I believe they talk about how that's where the Imperium thinks those the XV designation comes from. Because if you say it fast, it does kind of sound like XV. But it could also just be, this is a classification, and the two letters help specify who's piloting it, what that pilot's doing. Um, On to the numbers, that first number is usually referred to as the mass class. So when the stealth suits first came out, you had the XV-15, and that first number was designating that it's a very small armor, 
and it's basically no bigger than the normal fire warrior armor that they wear. And then even lighter than that, you have the XV-02 pilot battlesuit that Longstrike wears. And this is basically just like a bodysuit that weighs next to nothing. And then you slowly go up through the mass classes, reaching different sizes. There's mass class 4 with the Vanguard Void battlesuits. And then you reach the 8, which is the Crisis battlesuits, as well as the broadsides, the commander armors, all of those. Um, then you reach the nines, you have your hazards, your ghost keel, and then the tens, which you have your riptides and riptide variants, and then slowly you reach up to those titans that are in those massive mass classes, such as the KB-128 Storm Surge, as well as the KX-139 Supremacy Armor. I see Grav Cardo is typing, so I will let him type real quick. And so Grav says, seems strange that hazards are in class nine with ghost keels rather than eights with crisis. With that, I think what originally happened was kind of a disconnect between Forge World and the main co people writing the main codex. And they wanted to distinguish the hazards from the crisis suit because if you notice, the hazards are on 60 millimeter bases. They're not much larger than a crisis suit, but they're just a little bit larger. I think that was meant to be the original, the weight nine mass class. And the ghost keel kind of got shifted into that. And it kind of falls more into in between like a nine and a 10 with the ghost keel. Because there's no specifics for what is this mass class? Or what defines a mass class of 10? What defines a mass class of 8? Because they just haven't expanded upon it. There is that disconnect between the ghost kills and the hazards. And sadly, I don't think they're going to fix it. I think it's just going to be something that slowly the hazards get moved to legends. And then it's just kind of forgot about. And another side note, with the new codex, they have moved away with those designations and i believe that let me look at the data sheets real quick so the crisis suits don't have the designations the commanders don't have the designations anymore the devil like there there are no more designations mentioned in the codex everything's just like the riptide the crisis the ghost keel so i think we may just see those designations go away Back to the second number, this is where you get to see more of that specification of what those battle suits do. If it's a one at the end, it designates that it's really kind of a theoretical prototype. They're kind of testing it, but not really like, hey, this is seeing battle. The two would designate a battle suit that has actually progressed to that field testing. So you have like the XV-22 that stalker battle suit that shadow sun pilots you have the xv02 pilot battle suit that long strike uses and they're both in special positions that they can test these state-of-the-art battle suits with all these new technologies and such like long strike has his integration with his hammerhead in order to view all the sensor data and ais that help him process that you have shadow sun and her suit Presumably, it's a more advanced reactor that helps power her special fusion blasters, as well as all of her command nodes and special links with her drones. 
after that, you reach the XV-3, which is a battle suit that's kind of in between mass production and the testing stage. There's not any XV blank threes mentioned really, but it's you've been testing this. There's kind of more of them floating around, and you are the specific pilot for this battle suit or any other method um, war gear. So say they design some special crisis suit, but there's only 40 of them floating around, and they're starting to try to get these pushed more to the field, and they say, this is your battle suit. We're going to give it the three designation. And then it'll be not yours, because it's there's not a lot of personal owning, and they'll probably be like, okay, once we get this to mass production, we're going to give you the better version once it moves out. And then once we move out of the one, twos, and threes, you start to reach where it's those actual combat designations. So the fours is any mass class that has been approved for the command and control role or is in the final stages of field testing. So we both have two examples. We have examples of both versions of this. We have the XV-84, which is the variant built for Tau Commanders. This kind of was featured in the Taurus campaign. It has a special marker light and target lock. That four designates that it, it is in a command and control mode, but the Taurus campaign talks that it's actually getting that designation because it's still in the field, final field testing stages of its development. And as a side note, I did forget to mention that the X, there is a actual variant mentioned for the, the one class. It's the XB-81 Crisis Battlesuit. So it was very much a concept version, but it had a back-mounted smart missile system. And it was built specifically for Tau Commanders. So it was a very select few, and it was never really pushed into mass production. And... Rules-wise, it was pushed to Legends because it's no longer made anymore. You'll eventually see the XV-81 kind of fade into history. Another battlesuit within that 4 designation is the Riptide because it's still in that final stages of field testing, even though the model's been around for four editions. It's been, yeah, it's been in field testing for a really long time. <laughs> it's, love Jeb said. Um... I believe it would be because of the Nova Reactor, because it's still kind of an experimental power system, and they haven't really pushed it to any of the different systems. Because lore-wise, that Nova Reactor, they mine, they don't mine, they like take some material from black holes, and that powers the reactor. So it may be that technology is still not able to be miniaturized or upscaled. Well, not upscaled, but used on a different scale within those battle suits. Because I'm sure if they could shrink that to down to the crisis suit level, they would take the Riptide out of that final field set testing role and move it to its own kind of designated class. Um, on to the next designation. Five is a battlesuit 
that is outfitted with Tau Stealth technology. So you have the XV-15, which was that first stealth suit. Then you have the XV-25, the more recent version of that stealth suit. Originally, they hoped to push that XV-22 that Shadowstone originally piloted before her upgrade to the Stalker battlesuit. They originally wanted to push that one to the entirety of the Firecast, but the XV-25 is easier to produce, so that's why they were able to ramp up production of that one and push more of those out to the Firecast. And then you also, within that class, you have the Ghost Keeled Battlesuit. As a side note to this comment right here, this is Redrix in post, going back through the audio. Chicken, in some of our post-discussion after this podcast episode, talks about, or brings up the fact that that five designation at the end might not just mean stealth or been outfitted with stealth technology. It may mean more of the fact that that suit is meant to be in more of an observation role, which kind of lines up more in the fact why they moved the Enforcer Battlesuit, the XV-85, from the XV-8-05, which I'll talk more about that designation and variance later on in the podcast, just in a few minutes, um, but on to back into the XV-85 designation. With the fives, a note is you have the XV-85 Enforcer Battlesuits. Um, when I talk about that battlesuit, I try to... Originally, it had a different designation. It was actually an XV-8-05, um, which... Because it's not a stealth suit, so XV-85 doesn't fit, but with those variants they have where it's not like its own separate thing it's still kind of like it's a crisis battlesuit but it's edited they just add a designation to the end so you have like the xv05 enforcer because it's kind of like a fifth iteration of the crisis suit and then you have the iridium battlesuit which is that xv02 kind of a second iteration of the iridium battlesuit um with the Iridium Battlesuit, it was designed after the death of a commander, specifically Commander Pride Star, that was killed by a sniper. And then after, because of his defeat, the Tau were um, pushed back, and the Clodate worlds that they were fighting on, they lost the war they were fighting there because of this uh, death of Commander Pride Star. So the Earthcast, they worked on this alloy called Iridium and tried to get it added and pushed into the main force of the Firecast. And it's a very rare upgrade, but a lot of commanders do try to use that because it does offer a lot of extra protection. Okay. Kind of talking. So after... The designate those special designations and the enforcer battle suit that's kind of in a weird spot right now with that XV85. You have the sixes, which is a battle suit that kind of fights in the airspace. So it's either really fast and can fly, or it actually operates within the void. So you have the two 
two ones, well, kind of three ones that fit within that classification. You have the Cold Star, XV-86 Cold Star, which it can exit orbit, and it can it moves extremely fast. It actually has its own specialized AI to help pilots process that information of being operating at those speeds because you're you're essentially flying a jet at the scale of your body and the sensor unit quote unquote the face is getting all of that information processed in during a battle so that ai just helps assist there and that ai is referred to as hollow photon countermeasures um, just helps keep them alive and lead from where they're flying uh, the other battlesuit that exists within that class is actually not mentioned a lot. It's really only mentioned in the Death Watch RPG books and the Battlefield, Battlefleet Gothic game for boarding actions. Um, but it's the XV-46 Vanguard Void Battlesuits. We haven't seen any pictures of it. There was one picture floating around that was kind of a fan art. It's in between the size of a stealth suit and a crisis suit. And crisis suits are actually about three meters uh, three meters tall. So they're kind of about as tall as a little bit taller-ish than a Terminator. So it'd be a little bit shorter than a Terminator, but a little bit taller than a Space Marine for that big difference that that makes. And probably has the ability to, well, I guess fold itself to fit into different areas yes love job saying it's weird that they have six size classes between stealth and crisis and then two between crisis and reptile so i think it's maybe a like exponential scale would be and then there's the fact that they're in a base eight system so there might be less steps between those and yes they could be keeping that design space open so you could see like an xv or XB-52 or something that's kind of just like a really chunky infantry that's up on stilts or something. Primaris Tau Marines. Yeah. So <laughs> it could be a Primaris Tau Marines. But that's where you can kind of take the Doyleist versus Watsonian approach. Why is that design space open? It could be that the Tau don't really have a reason to put anything there um because even with the vehicles you have the sometimes those mass classes are used sometimes they're not not mass classes designations so i think the piranha so they don't actually have those designations they just have the um role designations for the some of the vehicles and then some of the vehicle some of the other vehicles actually just have the mass class designation um like there was a forge world piranha variant i think it was tx42 and it was one that was a heavier duty piranha it had special weapons on it so it could take two rail rifles two pulse rifles or two Piranha is TX-4, so that would be its mass class is 4, which apparently is the same size as the Vanguard Void Battlesuit, but if you look at it, it's 
kind of bigger than a crisis suit. So I think you have the battle suits and the vehicles kind of operate on their own different mass classes. Like the Devilfish is TY-7, which it's like the same size as a Riptide. So there must be some slight difference between how they designate vehicles and have battle suits. Anyways, back to those designations because I kind of got sidetracked, sorry. You have the XV-7, or XV blank seven. The textbook definition of this is designed to facilitate infiltration. And the only battlesuit within that class is the XV-107 Arvarna, which is more of a heavy support. The Forge World variants have a lot more lore behind them. So you have the XV-107 Arvarna. Um, the Yavara is XV-109. Eight represents fire support, so you have your XV-88 broadsides. Nine represents something that's designed for frontline assaults. And the Yavara is very fast, can essentially fly, and has a massive flamer and a massive ion gun. So the guy who designed these was Fio-O Kelshan Shoan. And they were under assault by Tyranids, and the Ethereal Council was looking for new stealth suit technology. And Oshoan decided to continue the work on these Riptide variants, specifically the Arvarna, and he kept it under the XV-107 name in order to hide it, not hide it, but kind of like keep it under some tape, some like red tape and development tape, be like, yeah, I'm working on the stealth suit, working to infiltrate here. But in reality, he was trying to help create a better suit to deal with these Tyranid attacks. And these Tyranid attacks is actually what helped, not helped, but kind of revealed these Arvarna prototypes to the rest of the Empire. Because three of these showed up, and they just helped the Sept of Kelshan win the fight against these Tyranids. And because of the success of the Arvarna, he was given the funds to develop the Yavara battlesuit. And the Yavara battlesuit is definitely suited for suit. How many times can I say suit in a sentence? It is definitely built for that job of frontline assault because its special abilities is basically kicking up the speed and being able to get right in your face. And then I think... That's covered all of the different suits. So now I can kind of go back through the... So I'm just going to run through the suits that I wasn't able to talk about because they're kind of in a weird spot. So you have the broadside, which originally started as the XV-8-8 broadside. So it was another different variant of the crisis suit and that's why originally when the Tau came out, those broadsides, they were just an upgrade sprue for a normal crisis suit. And eventually, as development progressed and how and upgraded those broadsides, they kind of pushed into their own role and became their own suit. So they got their own separate designation because it removed that jetpack and changed it out for the... It's like a quantum particle accelerator is what helps power the broadside. Another variant of Crisis Suit, or there actually is an XV-89, 
which was kind of the precursor to the iridium suits but it still was designed for that like frontline assault because it was like i'm in this extremely durable armor that's designed to deflect bullets so you had shazo rimier was actually a pilot of an xv-89 and shazo rimier was a commander during the taros campaign and he kind of garnered a hatred for the imperial guard during this but if you have time to research Shazo Ramir and all of those commanders from the Taros campaign, as well as the Forge World commanders, I would definitely recommend it because they have some very cool lore. Moving up a mass class to the mass class of nine, you have those hazards and you have those ghost keel. Fun thing I learned while researching those hazard suits is the fusion guns, the fusion cascades, are actually designated as their own different dash variant. So they're not like XV-9-1, they're actually XV-9-01. And then the ion guns that the hazard suits can run is actually XV-04. I'm guessing the, they did the fusion cascades after the burst cannon, and then there were some guns they did in between, and they settled with the phased ion guns, presumably some form of ion that they were working on in between. There is a special hazard suit that Shazo Riley pilots. It doesn't really have its own special designation, but the main difference is it has its own gun, the full submunition rifle, and then the Eclipse Shield Generator, which is a special shield generator. It basically toughens up his armor as well as provides him that special invuln save. There's a, an additional kind of special category for those extra large suits that they're called ballistic suits. So that's where you have the Storm Surge, which was generally referred to as the KV-128 Storm Surge, which it is a fire support battle suit. But it's also kind of in a weird spot because it's actually piloted similar to a hammerhead. It has a pilot and then it has a gunner. So it gets that kind of weird floating where hammerhead pilots actually kind of graduate up into piloting Storm Surges. The Storm Surge actually has a t not a ton of lore, but a decent amount of lore talking about how these Hammerhead pilots come to be into piloting the Storm Surge. So they start off on these academies called the Ves Onivage, like literally translates to Giant Maker Academies on Vorkan. And you had all the... Deathwatch actually came in and attacked one of these academies in order to help kind of take down the future generations of those Storm Surge pilots. And then after the Storm Surge, you have the KX-139 Taunar Supremacy Armor. And the Supremacy Armor is different from the... <laughs> Storm Surge, because I believe the Supremacy Armor actually only has one pilot, and all of the other guns are controlled by a AI system. There's not a lot of information on why they would need to design a massive battlesuit 
but what I think is because Titans and Knights kind of have the ability to deal with ships coming down from orbits because originally what the Tau would do is we have no way to deal with this Knight or Titan, so they would bring Mantas down from orbit and just shoot them with rail cannons. And rail cannons have the ability to pierce void shields. They kind of made quick work of Titans, but it takes a lot of energy in order to leave and exit orbit. So they were like, we gotta design something better. Presumably, that's why the supremacy armor was designed, as well as you have those all of those bigger kind of suits. Um, does anybody have any questions about specific battle suits? Um, or specific mass classes that I can try my best to answer. Oh, I see Grav has raised his hand. Let me get my little... How are you today? Good, good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, appreciate the talk so far. It's been great. No problem. Sorry, I'm not as... I feel like I'm a little disjointed from this compared to Comsword. <laughs> you know, he's been presenting for longer than I've been alive, basically. So no, you're, handling it, you're handling it well. It's great. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to ask a question about uh, relationships with battlesuits, like how a pilot kind of mm. bonds with a battlesuit. So I think there's like two examples that I see and um, kind of wanted to contradict with something that you said where uh, pilots will not kind of create a bond with a, with a battlesuit. They'll just move on, right? They don't really have ownership of it. But I mean, if we look at Farsight, he obviously, you know, has a yes, very tight Farsight. that specific is very and, specific about his battles. Yeah. And then I think there are some other examples where uh, they develop bonds with the AI um, pretty tightly. So I guess I kind of wanted to just ask a question about that. How do Tau pilots develop bonds with their battlesuits or um, so see them as a partnership? It depends on the AI. Your average, not run-of-the-mill, but your Shazwi, Shazver, they probably wouldn't have a, a super advanced AI in their battlesuit. So they may not be their, their suit may not be as advanced enough to catch that or not catch that but operate at that level and with the specific bonds with ai that actually is a lot more common in the ghost keel because what the earth cast did is they designed the ai of the ghost keel to be more of a companion ai instead of just like here's the optimal firing angle it's you're going to be behind enemy lines for months, if not cycles at a time. So we need to make sure you don't kind of go off a deep end. So they designed this AI to be more sentient. So you have these ghost kill pilots actually bonding with their AIs. And I think there's been a couple examples of them actually undertaking a Talisera, which is that bonding knife ritual with their ghost kill ais as well as the the drone their stealth drones their stealth drones also have a little bit more advanced ai um to help keep them safe as well as keep the tile from going insane because now you have three people you can talk to instead of just one um so they they'll undergo this talisera with their ghost kill and then when they come back to normal society <laughs> everyone's kind of like are you are you okay bro you're kind of acting funky because they've only been talking to an AI for months at a time. Um, for other things, I I think the Cold Star may also have advanced enough AI in order to facilitate building that bond. 
I believe the Phil Kelly, the the very lore accurate books from about Farsight from Phil Kelly. I believe there's an AI. I think his suit has an AI that's advanced enough that kind of it like sasses him back during certain situations. There is a few examples of that. It's not talked about as much anymore. It is a cold star. Yeah, so Love Jeb just said that it was a cold star. It's been a while since I've read those books. Does that kind of answer your question, Grav? Thank you. Okay, cool. Um, I guess I'm gonna... I'm gonna kick you off the stage. Get out of here. Goodbye. Thank you for the question. I'm gonna kick Love Jeb up because I want to make him put him on the spot and make him tell me his question. Hello. Um, so my question, basically, so Tau tend to do two things with their battle suits. Either you've got like the Yavarna, the Yavara Riptime and Ravarna, which are on very similar chassis. Yes. But have different weapon options and obviously the chassis have some differences but it's basically like a sliding scale of armor yeah and then you've got crisis and those are on three separate battle suits and then you have crisis which have you know like eight different weapon options and like every support system under the sun and iridium upgrades and that's all just xv8 crisis and is that due to like the fact the crisis is kind of the it's kind of the tried and true like i would battle suit i would say so just because the crisis suit that design has kind of been in the fire cast as part of their operations and the earth cast have been working on them for i think thousands of years at that point because I would think the T-series and the V-series probably still followed a similar designscape to these suits. Um, so they've just kind of been like, this is the design that works, um, so we should probably try to make it as modular as possible. You kind of get that with the hazard suits um, because they they have the ability to take three different weapons, which are three different weapons compared to all of the guns that Crisis suits can take, but they're very interchangeable because it's basically just like, you slot them down, you slot them up. And then the support systems, it's a similar thing as well. I always forget about the third weapon on the hazards. Yeah, because they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually horrible. If they just are like bad. damage two, they'd be better. But anyways, I digress. I think that's the major reason why you have that distinction. Because realistically, once the riptide leaves field testing which it's weird that the riptide is still considered in field testing while you have the arvarna and the yavara that like have their designations so one thing i would like to see is they bring back the classifications and then they move the riptide to either it'd have to be an eight so because it's it's in it's in the heavy support slot, so it's still kind of in like I'm gonna sit back and shoot out a ton of shots at you. So I think it it, it kind of facilitates a similar role as a broadside, where it's it's just like a faster broadside that has kind of less strong shooting, but still pretty pretty good shooting. Um, and then you have the Arvarna and the Yavara. I also have another question, which is, 
commanders. Mm -hmm. You don't get Riftide commanders. You don't get, uh, you know, any commander in anything bigger than a normal Crisis suit, really. You get, like, sure, it's the Enforcer and the Cold Star, but that's basically just a... It's like a modified Crisis suit. Yeah. So, what's the deal? They don't talk about it a lot, but... As a side note, anything bigger than a like uh, a hazard, a ghost keel, and a riptide, they are always shazbers. They're never shazwees. They never they they never shazels. They're always shazbers. Um, in the books where they talk about riptide pilots, it's always refers to them as vers. Um, I don't think hazard suits are mentioned in any books besides the Taros campaign, but um, as well as the Hellshawn stuff. But I think that you have those commanders piloting from those com the crisis suits and crisis suit variants because it allows them more, not customizability, but ad adaptability to different situations. Whereas I pilot a riptide and I lead from a riptide, so I can really, I'm a big target. I have to stay in this one kind of remote area and it's hard for me to get to a different area like same with ghost keels because you kind of don't want a commander like an important character pushed up that far and infiltrating because it's a very risky position seeing your commander pilot from such a staple of your army and your Battle tactics could also be a morale thing. And the Crisis Suit's just kind of a good, good platform. Especially yeah. with the ability to edit it as much as it can be. And I see Grad is typing, so I'll let him... Does that answer your question, Love Jeb? It, it does. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to kick you to the stage. We'll burn um, Grav, do you want to come up, or do you want me to just read your question? Alright, I see he raised his hands. Like to speak. Alrighty. Welcome. Yeah, I'll come, chat. I'll, I'll come chat with you again. Um, curious to know your thoughts on, like, the trends of, uh, Battlesuit kind of evolution and design. It seems like, you know, they just get bigger. But is that the only way that they're going to kind of grow in the future? Is like where? I hope not. It's just like, oh, we would do this, but bigger. I hope they. I would like, dream, like, hoping not like hoping, but like, I wake up and I see this on the community news, would be insane. It'd be the stalker battle suit that Shadow Sun pilots or the XV twenty two moves out of field testing and becomes its own thing that commanders can pilot. Like, you can have a XV-22 pilot, like Shazo uh, Kais, um, Shazo Ores, I think, was the other guy from Dawn of War. Um, but seeing... that That's what I like, but with how it's trending, I think we're just going to get newer models of 
crisis suits and hazard suits are going to be phased out. We might get a new variant for commanders and maybe a new gun. I don't see them innovating much in the, the, the designscape of battle suits because I just don't think with the move away from those designations, it I feel like it gets rid of a lot of their abilities to work within that and design unique suits that fit those roles. Instead, they just do these, not generic, but very broad suits. Like the XV-22, sure, it's a stealth suit, but it doesn't do anything new. Whereas you had the ones from Dark Crusade, I'm talking specifically about Shadow Sons, XV, which don't get me wrong, it's a really cool model, but it's not reinventing the wheel. It's it's a stealth battle suit. It's got an extra gun or extra guns. It's got fusion blasters. It's got a stealth field. It's got command and control stuff. Whereas if they and they kind of did it with Forge World, where you had like the variants, like the XV eighty one, the XV eighty four, the XV eighty nine, where they use those as designations to their benefit. I feel like I got away from the question. Hopefully. No, I think I that, think you answered it. That answered it. <laughs> yeah, Alrighty. for sure. Um, okay. I got a follow up though, if uh, yeah, or a, a secondary no, question, if you got time. Um, so I've been curious around those early model battle suits as well, the the T's specifically. Um, I love the kind of thought that that came from like a model T. I never thought about that, but um, so you know, older suits, uh, fossil fuel powered. What else would probably have they consisted of or or looked like i heard someone say recently that maybe they would have had more fins like farsight suits since farsight technically has an older version of a crisis suit so um, but i'd be curious for you to yeah just to think about like what else what would have existed in like a t-suit what kind of weapons would they have been using what sizes what would have the armor would have looked like any of that stuff i think the pulse rifles have, if i remember right the pulse rifles is, have been around for a very long time so I think you would see burst cannons and stuff still, but definitely not ion guns, because those were from trading with the Demiurge. I don't think plasma, because that's inherent to like a fusion reactor, not fusion blasters. So a T-series, you would maybe see missile pods, maybe less accurate because they might not have as advanced AI. Uh, so missile pods, burst cannons, and flamers, they had flamers, and that covers everything. Burst cannons, flamers, missile pods, and then they wouldn't be able to do ion blasters, plasma rifles, fusion blasters. I feel like there's one more that I'm forgetting. Air bursting, air bursting right. fragmentation projectors. I think those are a new, they might've had those as well. Um, because those are kind of like, they've been around for a long time. Uh, Love Jug. I think they came with the original set. They looked weird. They came with the original set. I'm trying to remember. He isn't allowing them in Damocles 1? Oh, okay. Well, that's probably right then. I feel like they came with, I feel like they came with the commander sets back then. But anyways, 
that one is maybe iffy. But I, I, if I remember right, if they had pulse rifles, then definitely burst cannons, definitely missile pods, definitely flamers. What they looked like, I think they might have just looked kind of like what the XV series, but less futuristic, if that makes sense. So very rigid in how they operated. Kind of like, I don't know if we've actually got any. Kind of like what our exosuits look like. Maybe they're not enclosed. Maybe they're kind of open. They just provide extra strength to support weapons, as well as extra speed on the battlefield, and maybe a jetpack. Yeah, but I like that idea. I wish there was more about the T-Series and V-Series, but they're really mentioned offhand in like the 6th edition codex, and that's it. That's all I've really found on them. So I wish I knew more. I wish I knew exactly what the T-Series and the V-Series stand for. Um, out of universe... I think they're just jokes, or not jokes, but like funny, funny references to T, the T Model T, and maybe the interaction potential in fusion fission reactions. But I don't know. Um, I think I think you're right. <laughs> I, I <laughs> maybe we'll see. Cool. Thank you. Cool. Um, with that, I think we're nearing an hour. Is anybody out? I can do one more question if anyone has any questions. Lovejub has something. Just a thought. You want to come up to the stage? You can move yourself. Yeah, I, I would have <laughs> just raised my hand, but it doesn't let me just raise my hand. <laughs> I know, it's weird. Uh, it's a weird, yeah. Um, so, what do you think about the idea that... Because with the development of the really big mechs, like the town are the storm surge, etc. Mm -hmm. Could that have a certain psychological element to it? Oh, that, you mean like, because there's the whole thing where every time a tank shows up, and it's like, oh wow, it's so cool, wow, it's like a, it's like a big robot, but it looks like a person, whoa, right? Um, and I don't know, Meg, could it be some kind of obviously? how don't operate as much don't operate off of the whole superstition element yeah. of it but like i the think god machines a, of titans yeah yeah but i think there is still to some extent like a psychological just wow that's a big thing you know i think with those big armors you don't see them you just die because they hit you from <laughs> several several kilometers away over the horizon i think is realistically how they hit you because the taunar ta taunar ta taunar <laughs> um supremacy i think most of its guns range is the whole table i think it's got a 120 inch range gun which the table is only 60 inches long even during like onslaught i think it's 80 88 inches um so <laughs> you're gonna be able to shoot anything on the table so realistically i think and i guess a lot of the titans kind of have weapons like that but i i don't think they might engage in the spectacle of it if they're trying to intimidate maybe s some 
humans into joining the empire or into surrendering instead of just because it is an expensive asset to just put it down so maybe saying it is is my answer to your question all right I, I think it's a definitive maybe because with the crusade stuff they did they did talk about how the Firecast is not prone to theatrics, but they are okay with engaging in kind of that flex to be like, oh, we're going to mess you up, you know? Um, but hopefully, I got Black Comet. I will take his question, and then with that, I'm going to call it there. So what's popping? Hello. How's it going? Um... And the book, oh, I forgot what it's called. Uh, not Voices of Experience, but um, the other one with the Gufessa. Broken Sword? Broken Sword, yes. Mm-hmm. It mentioned an Inquisitor with a battle suit. And yes, I forgot to talk about him. And I mentioned what kind of like uh, modifications they would have to have to make. Like um, like I have to check in there. They have to make like, you know, like me. Like modify like the, but this to make it more to make it so they could pilot it. Um, yeah, they would have to change the legs, because that would that would mess them up. I think they would have to make it. Not, probably an inquisitor would be taller than the average Tau. I'm just guessing. So they probably have to make it more of a custom built battle suit in order for him to fit comfortably. Main one would be the legs, yeah. um, and then just like also, the cockpit edited a little bit. Also, also, I think the the hands too. Yes, the hands. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big thing too. So um, just put an extra finger I, on there. I think maybe the feet, but I'm not sure. Yeah, if they if they change the legs, they would edit the feet as well to make it just kind yeah. of like a. Not a flat-footed, but more resemble a human foot. So, um, GW, where, where, where's our extra bits? <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to push into that designscape, unfortunately. I, I think that's... Um, I think Broken Sword and Voice of Experience and all of those books is something they're, they're trying to step away from. To just be... The, the ta- I, I, that's just how it's feeling. A series of historical town models, like Love Dub, that would be really cool. Like, uh, they did that with the Power Armors, didn't they? Like, Power Armor 386. Yeah. Montau would just be, like, people with swords and then be like, oh, samurai armor. Push it off, signify. This is the last stand of the samurai. (laughs) Essentially. Sorry, but yeah, like, well, at least the 3D printing. Yes, I think 3D printing has definitely filled that space between for uh, not other mass classes, but the potential for using stuff as other mass classes and design your own war. Yeah. But, I, I just, it feels like such a waste of opportunity, though. Yeah, it. I feel like that's a lot of the town. <laughs> No, thank you for asking my question. No problem. I think with that, 
I'm going to say thank you, everyone, for coming out. Um, I really appreciate this. Sorry it was kind of like, oh, oh no, uh, and a couple days before I kind of announced it. Um, Comsort is on vacation. Kind of, not vacation, but he is out of town this week. But thank you, everyone, for coming out. Hey everybody, so in light of some of the things that have been going around on the internet, we just wanted to make sure that it's very clear that this podcast is in no way affiliated with Games Workshop or any of their copyright. Um, this is entirely fan-made, and we do so for the benefit of the community. Um, join us next week, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us. If you uh, are interested in joining our part of the community, you can come to the Discord channel, Tau. 40.000. We all look forward to seeing you there. It's a good it's a good place, especially if you want to argue about Tau Blood Killer.